0: Hello and welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. My name is Nathan Hill, and I'm so excited to be introducing you today to a very interesting episode of the Generosity Freak Show, sitting down with Michael Thatcher, the CEO of Charity Navigator. Now, before he was ever at Charity Navigator, he was actually an oceanographic researcher, which is fascinating. He's going to share a little bit of that story, how he got to Charity Navigator, what he's doing now, as well as lessons that they've learned from a recent acquisition with Impact Matters. So there is a lot in store for you today. So without further ado, I'm going to turn things over to Brady as he sits down with Michael Thatcher, the CEO of Charity Navigator. Enjoy.
1: Hi, Michael. Thank you for coming on the show. Hi, Brady. Glad to be here. All right. So we're going to talk about charity evaluation and some of the new cool things that you've been up to at Charity Navigator. But before that, I have to ask you about a few things that maybe you did before you were at Charity Charity Navigator. One of them is you spent some time at sea conducting oceanographic research. Why? (laughs) And what does that look like?
0: So I was a... I, I, my title was SSSG, which is a Shipboard Scientific Services Group Technician. <laughs> we, they kept the T off of it. I was essentially the guy that was the interface between the science party and the ship's crew, making sure that we were actually collecting good data, knowing where we were, what time it was when we collected it, hmm. and then just running, the, uh, running all the, the internal logging systems as well as interfacing them with the ship's navigation. I got into doing this for two reasons. One, I, I absolutely adore the ocean and anything mm. in, under, around uh, the water is really important to me. And secondarily, I was trying to make a living as an artist. And I, in my 20s, had a dance company where I was writing the music for it and dancing with my wife. And that wasn't paying the bills. So through a family connection, I met up with someone that was going, used to do oceanographic research as a marine geologist who was digging up rock, digging up sort of studying undersea volcanoes. Long answer, but basically Amazing. it became something where I could go out to sea for six to eight weeks, make good money, not spend a dime. Right. You know, you're working, you're working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and the ships are going 24-7. Right, um, so you'd make good money for a while and then you'd come back and you know sport your art habit, so it worked out well
1: <laughs> you know most most people just like pick up a few shifts at a local bar they don't they don't you know go to sea for eight weeks at a time, but that's that's pretty amazing
0: <laughs> it It was one of the most exciting and fun work i've ever done
1: what's What's one of the maybe like the coolest things that you saw or experienced on your time at sea?
0: Um, probably the coolest place and things I saw was we were down in, uh, sailed from Punta Arenas in the, uh, in the Straits of Magellan and went out into the Pacific Ocean. We got, we got beat up. I mean, it was really <laughs> rough out there. And then we came back in through what's called the English Passage, which is a, an inland, uh, opening between the, uh, that protects you from the Pacific Ocean. And the whales, the albatross, the Mm. the animals we saw on that, it was about a three-day passage. Stunning. Because it was actually (laughs) calm enough that we could go out on deck and actually see what was going on. But that was probably the most beautiful thing I ever saw. Amazing. And icebergs, too. Like these massive icebergs. That was cool.
1: Yeah, that'd be kind of freaky, seeing these massive things jutting out. Yes.
0: Yes. It's the scarier ones are the ones that you don't see that poke holes in the <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I can imagine. Well, yeah. uh, this is not a, you know, an oceanographic podcast. So we are going to move to more of what things I know, generosity space and talk about some of the new stuff that you've been doing at charity navigator. One of them is the encompass rating systems. So, you know, I'm very much on the record in the past of thinking financial evaluation metrics really aren't the most useful thing to, you know, view impact and, We've all kind of been on this journey of learning and unlearning and relearning kind of how to properly evaluate nonprofits. And so you've done a lot of work and then rolled out the Encompass system this summer. Um, can you explain more like what the Encompass system uh, is for people that don't know and maybe the components of it? And then I'll have a few questions within that.
0: Sure. Um, so I've, I've been a charity navigator for about five years now, a little over that. And one of the things, you know, I joined with the idea of, evolving the ratings, going uh, going to bigger scale and mm-hmm. also uh, greater depth in the evaluations. And one of the challenges with the star rating system that we have is it had a fairly restrictive criteria for or eligibility criteria. Mm-hmm. So one of the big changes with Encompass is to make it open it up to a much broader set of nonprofits. But then the other thing is to move into a world where we're we're doing sort of faster iterations. So, in a software development uh, paradigm, we call this agile, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, it's an agile development paradigm where you're you're putting something out as a minimal viable product. You're getting feedback on it from sort of a wide variety of different areas, and then you iterate on that. And so, the spirit of Encompass, which um, the last year or so has been called the experimental rating system internally. And then we, you know, the launch name was actually Encompass, was first of all, open it up so that um, a much larger number or set of nonprofits could um, access that system. And then secondarily, let's mm-hmm. get beyond just financial and accountability structures. Let's mm-hmm. get to impact, let's get to leadership, let's get to community and culture. And so we've, um, the system right now as it is designed has four key focus areas or what we're calling beacons,
2: mm-hmm.
0: sort of staying in the navigation um, uh, <laughs> sort of metaphors. We, we, and you know, we are a navigator as a, uh, by, by name. We launched in July with the finance and accountability beacon, which in many respects is, looks a lot like what we've been doing with the star system for the last 20 years with mm-hmm. significantly less metrics. But one hundred and fifty thousand new ratings. So we basically jumped from nine thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand.
2: Hmm.
0: The criteria, entry criteria for that was you needed to have e-filed your nine ninety. Hmm. You also needed to be filing a nine ninety. So that still, there is still a size limit. If you're smaller than two hundred and fifty thousand in annual uh, revenue, you won't be you won't be covered by this part of the encompass rating system. Hmm. But if you have and you have three years of 990 filing. Then we have enough data that we can actually issue a rating. The former system was really, was looking at seven years of filing million dollars in annual revenue and uh, 40% of the funds coming from individual donors. Those that's been greatly relaxed and that's allowed us to bring in 150 new 150,000 new nonprofits.
1: Yeah. And and what about the, within the rating system itself, have you relaxed some of the, the figures you know being attributed to say admin and overhead
0: we, we've um in its current phase it's it's right now overhead is is still in the in the uh, in the rating
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's one of five metrics and in order to it 's a pass fail in other words you've got to pa- you 've got to get better than seventy percent seventy percent and above is the, is sort of the passing bar. So compared to the star system, which is looking at organizations that are at, you know, 99%, um, that's, that's greatly relaxed. And what, what's going to be happening is as the additional metrics come on, the actual impact of overhead on the overall score is going to be greatly diminished.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, for example, what, you know, the big news was with, the. with our acquisition of Impact Matters and the Impact and Results Beacon going live uh, earlier in October, you now have Impact and Results counting for sixty percent of a score, whereas the Finance and Accountability portion is reduced to forty percent of the overall score, of which overhead is one of five metrics. So it's actually you see how it actually it's progressively becoming. Right. Less significant
1: well and when you add in the the pass fail component right it's not incentivizing charities to go up to 99 percent because then you're getting better and better it's just saying you know we think based on our research and evidence you should be you know above 70 but anything between 70 and 100 you know is the same so i think that's a good progression and the whole argument around overhead has always been not that overhead isn't or can't be wasteful it certainly can be it's that we've only evaluated it absent impact. In which case, how do you know what's good overhead or bad overhead? So I think this is a really, really good, good step, both the pass fail, but especially the impact and rating side of things. So can you talk a little bit more about that? And then also, we want to talk about the impact matters acquisition, which is, you know, pretty big news for a few different reasons. But one is just, you know, ratings and evaluation getting more into the mix. I think so. The, you know,
0: if you think about and I think one of the shifts we've been hoping to be uh, a part of is shifting this notion of giving to one of investing in social change.
2: Hmm.
0: And if you think about it, you know, the, um, where I, where I, where my money gets spent when I give it to an organization may or may not be as relevant as what is achieved with that, with that yes. um, particular donation or what that organization is able to do with that. And so I right. think that's been something we've been really trying to shift to. Um impact and results, you know, right now with, uh, um, I guess I want to, if I'm going to pivot directly to what are we looking at with the acquisition of Impact Matters, it's looking at the cost per outcome attributed by an individual organization. So for example, how much does it cost to provide clean drinking water for a certain number of people for a year Mm -hmm. and then giving you that number. That is the current approach that we're looking at with the Impact Matters work.
1: Right. So one question when it comes to kind of the impact and results is like, how do you balance the tension of you know wanting to serve donors wanting to serve the space adding more rigor adding more depth but also not wanting to just create you know more and more hoops or more and more things for nonprofits yeah. to do who you know already have tons of other things to do let not just keep up their ratings you know with watchdog groups so how do you balance
0: that it's actually if you don't balance it you fail right so i think <laughs> no, right. Um, and and I actually, when I was joining Charity Navigator, we were in the process of having um, an attempt at what we were calling results reporting, or what back in the day was called Charity Navigator 3.0. That was an attempt to evaluate how nonprofits were reporting on their results. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter was it was a fairly labor-intensive effort demanding of the nonprofits to submit all this information to us. Yeah. And then on the back end, on our end, to actually process that information <laughs> and turn it into right. a rating. So we got a ton of pushback from the sector, and we also ended up with massive delays in our regular rating system. Mm. And so, so figuring out that part to, to me is actually it's a it's a huge part of the um of the solution. Well, our approach has been. Don't ask somebody to do something twice. And mm-hmm. the analogy I mm-hmm. like to use is, you know, don't it, don't you hate it when you go to a doctor's office that you fill out the same form every single time? And yes, and it's such yes. I know it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, your meeting's at two o'clock, but could do you mind showing up fifteen to twenty minutes early to fill fill out the paperwork? Yeah, I mind. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. don't ask nonprofits to submit the data. Um, if they've already given it to GuideStar, or they've already given it to an organization like Classy or someone else, why not? Why doesn't Charity Navigator and the other evaluators, why don't we get it from them? And so that's, mm-hmm. who, that's uh-huh. basically what we started doing. And it was a question of just building partnerships and agreements with different organizations. We started this in 2017 with something we were calling an impact data experiment. Well, we brought in data from from GuideStar, now Candid. We brought in data from Classy and also Global Giving initially. And that we went and started publishing this information. We were studying how was this affecting donor behavior in their giving? In other words, was it moving the dial, seeing some form of results data? In that process, um, and I'm kind of moving into the impact matter story right now, yeah. We started working with Dean Carlin on analyzing that information. And Dean is the co-founder with Elijah of Impact Matters. Mm-hmm. So Dean and Northwestern University helped us with the data analysis of this impact data experiment. And then in the second year, Impact Matters joined that uh, experiment and we started publishing their data. And so that's, you know, we went from having no results information, to having about 30,000 nonprofits having their results information there. So. Long-winded answer, but essentially, we've got to get the data somewhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We are building a portal so that we can collect it ourselves. But mm-hmm. if if you a a nonprofit has submitted it to an organization already, right. we're going to try and harvest that information and use it for our ratings. Yeah, That's what we're doing with the nine nineties. I mean, think about it. The beauty, yeah. what has made Charity Navigator what it is today, was that there was a common data set that. Whether you liked it or not, you had to fill it out
1: <laughs> right right
0: it's just it's there it's unfortunately it's not as rich and robust as we'd like it to be right well, and uh, I know
1: one of the the you know pushbacks of i mean there's a whole other conversation about you know like the altruism. Uh, sorry, um, effective altruism movement and, you know, it's its validity for other sectors and spaces and all this kind of other stuff. But I know one of the the challenges is that we have in the nonprofit space, as opposed to maybe, you know, for profits where the bottom line is is quite different from organization to organization. Right. And, you know, you do something like early education. How do you compare the impact of early education to someone providing clean water? And uh, I'd be interested to know your answer. My answer is always like, well, let's try and get better. The answer is like, this is too complicated. So just forget it. Or this isn't perfect. So then it sucks. Like, well, then let's not do anything ever. You know, there has to be some element of, you know, let's get started. I think what I really like about this approach or that more agile methodology is a being more open getting nonprofits in releasing things that's maybe imperfect, which I know is tough to do, but let nonprofits give you that feedback. Let other people come in and say, Hey, what if you did this? You know, I think that's been part of the issue is the watchdog groups in the past have kind of been like, we're going to tell you, here's the system. And it feels like, you know, I had no contribution to the system. So you know, whether it's perfect or not, I think this approach is is really, really cool and, and in the same direction. But that's got to be something that, you know, you and Elijah and Dean and the others are, are wrestling with, right? Is how do you take this methodology, which works great for some, and now how do we figure out some of these other ones?
0: I mean, that is, um, you know, it's funny, when I first joined, one of the ideas I'd had around this, and I think we're still, we're still playing with this, is, you know, you have to essentially create cohorts of or birds of a feather that are essentially, so you get all the early childhood education folks together. Right. And that is, that is what Impact Matters has done, is right. Right, to kind of work with discrete groups, figure out what a baseline is, and then, and then interpret off of that and, and apply that more broadly. You're going to need to, we're going to need to do that across a massive number of different sectors. And in some cases, you know, the cost per outcome approach won't necessarily work. Right. Right. You know, take something like advocacy.
2: Just
0: mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't apply that well, right? Yeah, right. And there's so many other externalities. And then looking at um, sort of attribution of credit. Um, you know, when, when when things go well, everyone puts their hand up. <laughs> right. day, everybody disappears. <laughs> right. So it's 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 a um, it's going to be tricky. But I, it, in the spirit of experimentation, I I firmly believe you've got to try. Mm -hmm. I also feel you can't try without the constituent's voice in the mix. Yep. Now, we we use, you know, constituent voice is often spoken about in terms of getting, well, it is spoken about in terms of getting the voice of the beneficiary in the, let's say it's a relief effort. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the beneficiary is, or the constituent is actually the nonprofit in many cases. Mm -hmm. And so if Mm -hmm. we don't have their voice in the mix and we don't actually align what we're doing with what they're trying to achieve, and we may be evaluating you on something that you're not actually trying to do.
1: Right. Right, <laughs> and, exactly. And
0: that really, that's just not fair, right? Yeah. Um yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing that that y'all do is you interface with donors, right? Is is you you yeah. work with nonprofits and you serve nonprofits, but you also serve donors and trying to understand what are the things that donors care about and how do we blend that with, you know, the things that nonprofits are doing, what do they care about to kind of be that, that intersection. And those two things don't always line up either. Right. Is like donors may think that they want this. I mean, we see this all the time in our experimentation, they will say what they want, but then they'll actually really want something else, you know? So trying to decode, like, what is it that donors really want a sense of accomplishment and impact, you know, is it, is it less like a financial rating? No, they want, you know, they want something bigger than that. So like, how do we, how do we get that to them? So I just think it's interesting how you have to handle both of those sides of the equation, right? Is understanding donor needs as well as nonprofit needs and trying to connect those two, right?
0: And if you think about it, that's part of the journey we're on right now is the donor and the donors that have been coming to us have, they've been accustomed to seeing all of this financial information. There is, I would say, you know, we probably both agree that there is a an overemphasis on overhead in the average um, in the average American perception of giving. Right. Yeah. But there's also part of that is because there's a lot of distrust. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so one way is like, well, tell me where my money is going, then at least I'll feel better about it. Right. Yeah. Um. As we we're, we're needing to move people across a continu, you know, sort of from that. I want to see where every penny goes. Right. Which, you know, think back to early government grants that really, and still today, right? <laughs> you really got to articulate. Yeah. So go back to my, when I was working on the ship, right? That uh-huh. was a NSF funded um, Navy vessel operated by Woods Hill Oceanographic Institution. Yeah. Every penny right. was accounted for, right? right? And every so it was. So that level of over that's actually really expensive too, because the overhead oh, yeah. that goes into that kind of reporting is, is, is tricky. yeah um, We're moving from that to a trust model where actually, hey, I'm trusting you nonprofit leader, to go out and make a difference in early childhood education
2: mm-hmm.
0: but show me what you've done
2: yeah,
0: right And that's the piece that we're still we're getting better at and yep. then bringing people to that. That we get asked some really um surprising or, or or maybe disappointing questions often from the donor community you know one of the one of the key questions that people are really concerned about is how much is the c e o getting paid yeah, and I think we all would agree that that's not necessarily relevant to the output and the outcomes and the impact of an organization and shouldn't be no nope, shouldn't be no, but there's... There's a large part of the donor population that feels that if you're working in a charity, you should be um, not necessarily making uh, a, a, a significant living. And, yeah. and, you know, and that's that's unsustainable. Right. And right. that's and we're and we're pretty firm on that. But we do because the question gets asked all the time, we do list. CEO salary on our ratings profile, and we show uh, what it is in terms of percent of overall revenue of the organization.
1: Yeah. And I think this is what's so interesting about the conversation is every conversation that I've had with, you know, funders and donors, when we actually get into it, if you can just sit down for 30 minutes and have a real conversation, by the end of it, they go, yeah, you know what? I actually don't care what the CEO makes, you know, but it's always, again, in relation to as long as I know That they're achieving what they're saying to achieve. And again, this is where nonprofits want like the we just want, you know, unrestricted funding and we want the freedom and we should pay what we want 100%. But to earn that, you have to earn that you have to say this is what we're doing. You can't have it both ways. You can't not communicate what you're doing and also get the fruits and benefits of not doing that. And, you know, yeah. th- that's where I think th- this will take years, I'm sure, t- for, you know, nonprofits and donors and groups like yours and, you know, people to make progress. But the encouraging thing to me is even in the past, you know, five years is seeing there is progress being made, not as fast as maybe I and others would want, but, you know, there is you know, progress being made. And I'm I'm really excited for, for what y'all are doing and, and what's ahead. Um, you've got a couple other beacons that we haven't talked about that are maybe more in, in development. Can you touch on those briefly? Because I think those are interesting as well.
0: So, yeah, sure. So leadership and adaptability is really looking at, you know, do they have a plan? How good mm-hmm. is the leadership and trying to figure out ways to you know, what are some simple ways of measuring that? What is the theory of change that the organization has? Is it published? Um, are they working against a strategic plan? Uh, that's one, you know, one area. And, and this is something we're just starting to scratch the surface at right now. Uh, there's some really interesting data. I don't know if you're familiar with Classy, um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the, the organization. They have something called Progress, which they've had over the years, which had the Classy awards that were the result of this, filling out the progress framework. And there's some really great questions and they've simplified some of the sort of, let's say your standard logic model into almost a series of simple if then questions, mm. right? So if I do this, then that will happen. And then here were the actual results and mm. knowing that an organization has actually thought through some of these things, right. Is looking at um, prior art and existing research in the area that they're working in. That's important, and and you should be giving them credit for that. Hmm. I think the other thing to think about um, today, specifically with the pandemic world that we're living in, it's all about leadership and adaptability for organizations who are compromised or unable to execute on program, unable to fundraise. This has been such a a crazy time because it's affected all of us in, in entirely different ways. Right, yeah. And so that's, you're going to see, and we're hoping to, and we're working on this and actually helping nonprofits articulate their, their COVID story hmm. and how they adapted because the financials are going to be all over the map and we're actually going to be discounting them. Um, you know, we're, we're working on a plan right now to really yeah. let people know you're not going to be penalized for the, the, the negative effect uh, or potentially negative effect of 2020.
1: Right. Interesting.
0: Culture and community is, is more looking at how do you interface with your with your environment. So this is where we're looking at constituent voice. And mm-hmm. we actually, that may be one of the next things that, um, that we launch, which is working with um, some folks out of feedback labs. And there's a group of experts in beneficiary feedback or constituent mm-hmm. voice. And just seeing how do you listen to your, the people you serve and how does that how do you use that to iterate and improve on your, on your program delivery? Yeah. Um, So there's, there are a lot of different things. This is also, I think, culture and communities where you'd see things like diversity, equity and inclusion measures uh, and and how that fits into what we look at. People care about this. Yeah. And and so if, and if we're able to surface that in a way that the donor can see it and then the nonprofit can make it, make it available, we're going to do that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, what what I like about both of those is, again, you're just getting a more well-rounded picture of the organization, um, more so than I'm sure that they would even articulate or say, you know, Um, you can't always find their strategic plans online, you can't always see their commitment to diversity or equity and inclusion, you know, other places, hopefully that happens. But to show that well-rounded view, and to your point, if we're encouraging donors to be more like investors, you often invest in the people, you know, the idea, it's not just the end impact or the return, you know, and so how do we show who the people are and what their beliefs are? And so I think it's a really cool idea. Not, not easy by any stretch, you know, to put some ratings around it, I am sure, but I love that they're, you know, you're even willing to try because so many organizations and and similar ish groups, I don't think are even, you know, willing to try. So that's cool. Um, I want to jump back to the impact matters acquisition if we can, because, Uh, I saw that the acquisition was actually funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And, you know, mergers and acquisitions in our space is always like interesting and complicated. And so I, I, if possible, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what does that type of acquisition through a third party all in the world of philanthropy, like, what does that even look like? Uh, You know, just even at like a process or structural level.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, um, because the word acquisition also has implications, right? And right. In, in, and in the for-profit, it usually means there's a transfer of, of funds in towards the the person, the person or entity that is acquired. It's actually the inverse in the nonprofit, mm-hmm. um, because you're essentially acquiring their mission,
2: mm-hmm.
0: their people, their intellectual property, and their financial assets. Mm-hmm. and and then you are taking that on and integrating it into your own mission right mm-hmm. and so it's um that's complicated um there' mm-hmm. you know and like any um merger or acquisition there's significant legal fees involved and in just sort of making sure that you've done the right thing right um, this also involves the state because the in other words mm-hmm. if you're shutting down a nonprofit then what happens to the assets or if If it's going to continue, then there's other, you know, there's a renaming and all of that that takes place. Right. Um, Both Impact Matters and Charity Navigator have been funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for a number Mm -hmm. of years. And Charity Navigator and, you know, I was talking about the Impact Data Experiment. We've been looking for partners and affiliates for pretty much since I got to the organization Mm because. you know, part of it was I didn't want to do what we didn't know how to do.
2: Right, right.
0: <laughs> I wanted to bring in smarter people on areas that we just didn't have the skill set. Yeah. I've been saying for years, we have this incredible platform and, and brand asset of being known as the, as the go-to source for charity valuations for the American public.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Help us get better. Help yeah. us work to, to improve what we're doing. And what's been great working, you know, we're incredibly grateful to the to the foundation for their support as well, you know, financial support, but also guidance. Mm-hmm. So they've been a source of, hey, we're trying this. We want to do that. What do you think? Um, they've also made some connections to meet other nonprofits doing similar work. So that's been really beneficial. And if there's any kind of um, if you're looking to navigate through some form of affiliation, you want to have someone on having a third party like, like a found like a, like a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or uh, a funder that is willing to first help you help help you in the process of discovering right. possibility of a merger. Right. Right. Because I think that's the thing you want you want to you want to include your funders in that process. You don't mm-hmm. want to you don't want to announce it after the fact. Um, (laughs) we actually, no, we did a study looking at affiliates because we were really, we were realizing we've got, um, we've got a great potential, but we need to do more and we need to keep going in what we're doing. And, and so, and that's something that we've involved the foundation, (laughs) um, from the get-go.
1: Yeah. Um, anything that you kind of like learned or if there's people even, considering something like an acquisition or merger that you would suggest? I mean, the, the use of a third party, knowing that there's going to be legal fees, you know, the cultural side, but anything else that stood out to you that you learned as a, as a leader in that process?
0: Um, you've, you know, make sure you have uh, there, make sure your board's with you.
1: Hmm.
0: <laughs> hey, don't, don't do not this. I mean, always, you. but. <laughs> <laughs> don't do this or that. Don't even, <laughs> don't even start to think about it until you've talked to your board about it. Right. And, and, and know that their board, the other the other side's board, is, is equally uh, committed and engaged to this. Right. Uh, hmm. I think the other, you've got to be, I would be mindful of, you need to include as many people and as few people as you can. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, transparency, yep. there's, there's a time for transparency with your greater staff. There's a time right. for transparency with your, you know, larger uh, supportive, you know, constituents. Because these are very delicate conversations that don't always go that easily, right? Um, and so you you're, you know, be cautious how quickly you 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 bring people in, but know that you bring in the the really key people. I think um, you've got to have you know there's there's a cliche, but I actually think it's meaningful. There's this idea of that you know one plus one equals three mm. in any kind of a merger what is the what is the extended benefit that really goes beyond just getting some additional money and people right yeah. and so you have, to, you have to think that through yeah and that was something that i think and both and it has to be meaningful to both entities yeah right because if it's you know and i think there you know so that's that's important um and then I think the culture mix, and I think that's mm. what we're living right now, is also yeah, we're, in, sure. we're in it, right? It's sort of, oh yeah. you've got to make sure that you can integrate two very different cultures because whether you like it or not, they are different.
1: Yeah. I think that's the thing, the, the few folks that I've talked to that have actually been through the the process, that's the thing that they say is actually the hardest. You know, looking at Impact Matters, when I first heard Impact Matters and, you know, Charity Navigator acquired, instantly it's like, oh, it makes tons of sense. You know, so even though it makes sense, there's probably a lot of those, it's, you know, the details. And then afterwards, that culture side has to be has to be huge. So I'm, I'm really excited for what's ahead for you and Elijah and Dean and the rest of the team. So, you know, good good on you both for doing that. And thank you for, for sharing, you know, more behind the scenes and some of your own lessons <laughs> learned. I really, you know, appreciate that. So uh, before we let you go, I, I want to do a quick kind of like rapid fire time you know, it's not often we get you know CEOs who, who used to be dancers and spend time at sea. So I was like, I have to ask a few other questions. So we're going to do some rapid fire here, um, and let's let's just get into it. So, what's the best concert you've ever been to?
0: So, best concert was um, Kelly Joe Phelps playing the Garden Stage at Bumbershoot, probably 15 years ago, out in Seattle when I lived out there.
1: Awesome. Uh, new tool, app, site, etc. that you found useful in your life and or work?
0: I'll give you two tools. One is otter.ai, which is yeah. a the text memo tool. And then Great the one. other is um, Office Lens by Microsoft as a pocket hmm. scanner.
1: Office Lens.
0: Office Lens. It is a very cool, it's just, it is, it's an amazing scanner um, that you can use, particularly when you're, if you don't have you know good office equipment equipment at home yeah nice to have on your phone
1: (laughs) yeah i'm sure that's a very handy one good one um favorite animal and
0: why i I think it's an otter uh because they're playful (laughs) because of the the app (laughs) no because i I didn't actually make that connection but um they play and they play and love the water and they're just fun and they're cute and (laughs) um if I was an if I was an animal, I'd probably want to be an otter or a seal. I just love watching them play in the water. Um, huh. Yeah, there
1: you go. I don't. I don't think yeah. many people would answer would answer otter. So uh, I like that. <laughs> and and then last one. What's who's a, a person or a, a brand or website that you think people should kind of read and follow?
0: So I thought you know I think stop following. We need hmm. more leaders. Hmm. So really sort of, and I, and um, this goes Mm. back to when I was dancing, I was um, a Martha Graham style dancer when I was dancing. And I remember taking a workshop with Martha when she was still alive. And she said to us one day, she was asking, we had all the students sitting around her and she was in, she was 90 something at the time. So um, very much sort of towards the end of her life. And she said, she asked us, she said, you know, looking around the room, where is center stage? And all the students were kind of pointing to different parts of the room. She's like, no, no, it's right here. Mm. You know, it just pointed at her chest and said, it's your center stage. Oh, it, it, and, and I think this is, the reason I say this is that we, we hide behind each other. Yep. And we're at a time in history where we need people to step up. Yeah. And following the herd right now may not be in your best interest. So I would just really encourage folks to step up and step into their leadership.
1: What a, what a great non-answer. That's, that's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's, I mean, especially in our world and in fundraising, you know, we, people are always like, well, what's best practice? And we're always pushing to say like, what if best practice right now isn't very good? <laughs> like, why are you trying to catch up to best practice? We have to get beyond best practice. And so a person or leadership or marketing, uh, that's that's such a great, great sentiment. So let's end there. That's a great message. Uh, where can people find out more about you and and the work that you're up to?
0: So um, the website, charitynavigator.org. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Is our Twitter handle, it's uh, Charity Nav. Um, And if you want to reach me, mthatcher at charitynavigator.org.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for for taking the time and good luck with all that's ahead uh, within Compass.
0: Thanks, Brady. Really glad we were able to do this.
1: Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com That's podcast at podcastatnextafter.com. And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening.